This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Well, hello and welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan Pierce from Salem, Massachusetts, and today we have a most interesting guest, John Gelman, to talk about social networking. Before we get to John, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Benoit Language Services. You can find out about Benoit at BenoitInc.com. John is a frequent guest on the Legal Talk Network. He's been a guest on Workers' Comp Matters on at least two occasions. John is a practicing attorney and expert in workers' compensation law. His office is in Wayne, New Jersey. John has published countless articles on the subject of workers' comp. He's a member of the American Association for Justice, the Workplace Injury Law and Advocacy Group, and he has published two definitive treatises on workers' comp and has been named as one of the best lawyers in America. John also publishes a very um, popular blog and keeps the rest of us updated on uh, changes and trends in workers' comp. Uh, John, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for inviting me. John, you've written an article, uh, Facebook Becomes a Questionable Friend of Workers' Compensation, that uh, appears uh, on the National Underwriters' website, Property Casualty 360, and also, I believe, on your website. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that article, uh, because as I read this, I never put the concept of social networking, especially Facebook, MySpace, YouTube, together with Workers' Comp. I never really put it together for a while myself. I got involved in computers and in blogging and in social networking, only dragged in by my young family members who were on Facebook and several other blogs. In fact, uh, I didn't really put it together until I saw the social network, the film, when I realized I had taken a Facebook picture for my uh, young older son when he went to a school in Cambridge. And as a result of that, it all clicked together, and I realized that Facebook is a quite a large enterprise with over 500 million users, and if you combine them all together, it's the size of the third largest country in the world. And knowing that and what is occurring on the information that's being gifted across the wires on uh, the social networking um, networks out there, you soon come to understand that there's a lot of data that is relevant to workers' compensation claims, and workers' compensation lawyers cannot ignore it any longer. Well, I'm a workers' compensation lawyer, and I've been representing injured workers. They are my client base. And what is it about Facebook in particular or social networking in general that I need to be aware of? You have to be aware of that there is no expectation of privacy when um, either lawyers or investigators, or uh, claimants write comments or submit data in electronic format, could be pictures or articles concerning themselves and their activities onto Facebook. And the information that they put on there becomes transmitted on the system and available for scrutiny by many, many people. And the interaction and how we deal with that information, both 
from the claimants and the defense point of view, as well as from the court, becomes critical when it's utilized in a workers' compensation claim, either informally or formally at a hearing. All right. What I am envisioning is perhaps a client of mine who is claiming to be disabled due to a significant back injury somehow is discovered on YouTube uh, and being viewed doing some activities that might be totally inconsistent with the claim. And realizing now that that may be out there, uh, just the subject now brings up a whole range of questions that I have that I want to direct to you. And that is my responsibilities, my client's responsibilities, the insurance company's ability to use this, the court system's ability to take this into evidence. So let's take it uh, step by step. Let's talk about the claimants and their presence either on Facebook or uh, on YouTube or some of the other uh, media outlets like Twitter or MySpace. Anecdotally, what type of things have happened? First, we have to understand that this is a concept called electrically stored data information, ESI. And electrically stored data information is governed by some federal laws which prohibits divulging this information without consent but does not make the system holders liable. And the information is available in many, many formats out there and constantly changing. And as a result of that, uh, people dip into it and try to access it to gain information, not only from a claimant standpoint of view, but from an insurance carrier's point of view, an employer's point of view. It is very valuable. And when the person gets onto the network, they are associated with somebody else or some cause or some activity. It's an endless linking to other websites and other things that they do. And when Mark Zuckerberg set up the Facebook the original Facebook, the concept was that the information would be gifted. In other words, the gifting of information, and that's with the consent of the provider of the information. Some of the information being provided to people who are putting it up there have no concept that it's going to be used against them or for their benefit and have no knowledge who is even accessing it because they aren't sophisticated enough to go through the privacy settings which are constantly being changed. And the social and the social networking sites theoretically and actually um, provide no um, no expectation of privacy. And that information well may not be divulged to them, it's divulged to, to other players in the system. It could be divulged to vendors or to people who impersonate themselves as friends and get onto the system either lawyers or vendors or investigators who try to get this information. Even judges go on the system. And um, there are some indications where some decisions where uh, courts have uh, uh, removed benefits from claimants, founding, declaring them to be fraudulently obtained because the information they provided in court was inconsistent with the information that they were divulging and onto Facebook. Um, there are some... Some ways to access the electronically stored information, and that is by subpoena or or other forms of discovery. And those are new vehicles that lawyers are going to have to be become friendly with and understand and understand the concept of how to apply them. And the other way to do it is informally. And lawyers have a responsibility. Um, they have a responsibility to... Um, 
not communicate with other attorneys or other representative parties. So they can't really go on to the system themselves as lawyers and and become a friend of the uh, claimant or the other way around. But the adjusters and other lawyers may go on there just to see who is opposing them, who is on the other side, and what do they do, what are their daily activities. And um, there are insurance companies that uh, either hire companies that do a social networking search, or they go on themselves just to see who the claimant is, how they're going to appear in court, and, um, you know, know thy enemy, like in World War II, when they showed pictures of, of the adversary's planes, they want you to identify them and to understand how they're operating. And there's no difference in what is occurring now. But the responsibility levels that we have to be concerned with and um, the rules of professional conduct prohibit communication with the represented party by other counsel. And um, the rules also... The RPC 8.4C uh, prohibits from engaging in conduct that is dishonest, fraudulent, deceitful, and misrepresentative. So you can't go on there if you're another lawyer and make believe you're a friend. And you're referring uh, to the federal rules of civil procedure as well as the rules of professional conduct. Yes. Well, they mirror what's really happening. Those evidentiary rules and conduct rules are usually mirrored universally, globally, through all state systems in one fashion or another. So how the federal rules of conduct and the federal rules of discovery um, have interpreted what needs to be done is a concept that the states are adopting. It seems to be across the board. And you and I probably have been practicing long enough to remember back when um, the investigators doing surveillance of our clients probably were out there either with a 35-millimeter uh, camera or a Polaroid camera to be replaced by the 8-millimeter movie camera, to be replaced by the video camera, and now the digital recorders that are uh, pocket-sized. And, uh, you know, I have seen my clients shopping or driving their cars to the bank or to the donut shop thousands of times. And if I see one more, I think, uh, you know, um, I've had enough. But now we have to look at something else. We have to look at the computers and what our clients say about themselves on Facebook what they might say to their friends about their accident, what they might be depicted doing, or where they've been. And uh, have you seen any cases where clients have uh, actually uh, been seen on some of these sites, such as YouTube, doing things? Yes, people put up all kinds of videos, and it's worse than that because you don't have to put it up. The client doesn't have to put it up themselves. A friend could put them up there and tag the photo and refer back to the um, to the client. And as a result of that, you may see a person with a back injury ski jumping. Uh, and this becomes a problem. And the vendors themselves have responsibilities and Philadelphia Bar Association Professional Guidance Commission Committee indicated in a, in a ruling that the attorney was prohibited from directing an investigator to attempt to become a Facebook friend with a non-party witness where the testimony could be beneficial to the adverse party. Um, the attorneys have to advise their client on how to use Facebook. That sets them both sides of the aisle, both the defendants and the, the employer's attorneys and the insurance company attorneys as well as the claimants. Um, you may advise your client to remove a profile, but you can't tell a client to be misleading 
on the profile or to commit a crime, uh, fraud, that, that would not sit well. Um, and employers may set up a, a, a way to address Facebook for their own records and this electronic data. I mean, um, some employers have policy manuals and the companies themselves may make statements with regard to activities or exposures of claimants uh, at work within their own system. And um, what the companies do with regard to setting up policy uh, becomes critical as for evidential reasons later on as to what could be admitted into uh, court. And then there are, um, how does an attorney behave on Facebook? Does the attorney uh, try to befriend uh, an adjuster on the other side? Um, does an attorney try to befriend a judge? What, what, is it, what does the attorney do when the judge asks to become friends with the attorney on Facebook? Um, is that appropriate? And those are all questions that cross the line. Should the attorney maintain a personal profile and a business profile for the law firm? And how would, how would that impact um, contacting the adverse party? the employer directly or contacting uh, through Facebook or contacting uh, an adjuster for the other side or contacting the court itself. And then the other end of this is, uh, what do you do when the judge wants to be everybody's friend? And in some states, um, judges are elected and they want to be everybody's friend because they're going to be up on the ballot again. And it's not a bad thing, not a good thing, except when it impacts on the case, it gives you an appearance of uh, impropriety in some instances, and, and it's, it's not comforting at all to consider it. And, and insurance company um, attorneys have had problems. There was an insurance company attorney who spoke recently that uh, she was befriended by an adjuster, and the adjuster had filed a claim against their insurance company. Uh, where do you cross the line? So there are a lot of ethical reasons, a lot of ethical concerns with regard to um, interconnections on uh, social networking. I mean, I can see a distinction between a, a networking, purely business networking site such as LinkedIn, where the vernacular of that particular site isn't, quote, friend, close quote, where friend is, seems to be the, it's now a verb as well as a noun that Facebook has is utilizing. And, and just, as you mentioned, the appearance of impropriety, I, I suspect uh, being in a business network through LinkedIn might be viewed differently than being, quote, a friend on Facebook. But this is an evolving area, um, is it it's not? A, it's a greatly evolving area and it expands farther just than just being a friend. They have a like button and they have a poke button and they have other other ways to interconnect to become endless and applications that, that connect you through all different size concepts of social interaction. And this is of a concern. Um, where does it begin and where does it end? Well, what's the difference? Is there a difference between the uh, private investigator that knocks on the claimant's door and engages the claimant in a what they call a pretext interview? Uh, they're not an attorney. They're not uh, a counsel for the opposing party. And they engage the client or my client in conversation. How is that different than that investigator friending my client on Facebook through some pretext and then engaging in, in a conversation in an exchange of uh, emails or a chat or whatever the vernacular is? Is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. What's the difference? Um, surveillance 
by an investigator that usually is in a public area where it's wide open and you would you have no expectation of having a private uh, privacy, such as getting a flat tire on the street or going out and mowing your lawn or painting the house, which they take pictures of, or carrying the groceries in from the driveway. But this is a little bit different. This is a private virtual space that's set up by the by the claiming him by himself or herself, and they they have an assumption because they have some control over it through some privacy settings. And I think attorneys are going to have to be concerned with advising all of their clients about privacy settings, which continuously change on on Facebook and the social networking sites. And some of these are not even announced. They're unannounced changes. And all of a sudden, one day they're not available, and the next day your email address and your telephone number is available. And it's not only net, only provided to friends, but the way these companies make money is that they sell them to outside vendors for advertising and for other reasons. So your information is being programmed and coded and transmitted out to other vendors. And there may be a vendor who sells uh, pharmaceuticals or there may be a vendor who sells um, medical information, and all of this information is now public. So you have to be very careful, and your clients should be very careful. What is the line that I have to be aware of that I cannot cross when I am talking to my client about their presence on Facebook? The line is that you can't advise them to be fraudulent or deceitful or an attempt to circumvent the law through dishonesty. I think that if you're truthful with your clients, you will have no problems. I think you have to caution your clients that there is a virtual world out there except accessible by people that we do not even know about or they do not even conceive will know their information and that they should now be aware of it and very cautious when they post notes on status memos or photographs of their activities. Not that um, they have to understand that, well, not be considered dishonest or fraudulent what they're doing, but they should be careful that it be misinterpreted and twisted against them and taken out of context. And they have to become aware of that. And they have to become aware of privacy settings and that the information that they're gifting to the social network could be used against them so that they should be very cautious in presenting it in the first instance. Well, we're going to take a quick break at this point, and we will be back with Attorney John Gelman. Now a word from our sponsor. Need to communicate with your non-English speaking clients? Call Benoit Language Services. We have interpreters and translators throughout the USA, so you are able to converse quickly and effectively with your clients. We cover all legal matters, medical appointments, and statements. We offer telephone interpretations, written translations, and handle all proceedings at the Department of Industrial Accidents. Benoit Language Services, dedicated to the art of communication. Call us for a free quote at 1-800-261-5152 or visit BenoitInc.com. That's B-E-N-O-I-T-I-N-C.com. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. 
Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. Want to get CLE credit for the show you just listened to? Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and look for the words Engage Your Brain. Click there and you can choose what you need for credits and listen to our shows at the same time. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. With me today is Attorney John Gelman, and we are talking about the world of Facebook and MySpace and Twitter and YouTube and the impact on these new concepts of social media have in workers' compensation claims. Um, John, we were talking a little bit about the um, ethics of, of the attorney and the cautions that our clients ought to be aware of concerning uh, the privacy elect thereof when they place themselves out uh, in the public domain on electronic stored uh, media. Let's talk about how the employers might utilize this um, in terms of even hiring workers. Uh, what's taking place out there from your experience? Well, employers should be aware that when they do set up these sites and they do make comments either through personal use of Facebook or through their um, company sites, that the information on there could be used, and they're going to have no control over the storing or manipulation of that data, and they should be very careful with that information. So a lot of lawyers now who work for the defense, whether or not their company allows them or not to do it on site, will feel very comfortable if they take it home to their home computers and start making inquiries the night before a hearing to see what this person looks like and what they do, especially if you're up for a trial and you're really, you know, part of trial preparation. You want to know what you're going into the next morning for a trial. You're going to grab a computer and do a search, and you're going to Google or Facebook your um, the claimant just to get an idea. And um, that information that's stored up there not is necessarily is probably permanent. Well, many people think, well, if we remove it, it's gone. Well, there are no, there is no thing as, there's nothing as deleting it permanently from the, the internet. Once you have a posting on the internet, it is cached into the system, and there are third-party applications right now which will go back historically for 10 years and cache or electronically store that information and have it available. So. Um, I think it's important that it's a useful tool to insurance companies, no doubt. It's a useful tool to defense attorneys, no doubt. But I think it's a two-edged sword because statements that they may make about an accident, about politics of the company become important and critical in evaluating the credibility of their own witnesses at the time of trial. And even though we only have a few brief minutes, we really need to touch on two related areas. One is the discovery of this material or the resurrection of this material that's been deleted and how uh, a defense attorney can access this. And then more importantly, how is it admissible? How do you get it into evidence? Well, first of all, how to gather the information, preserve, collect, uh, and deal with these discovery challenges that are going to come up. Basically, workers' compensation is a summary proceeding, and nobody wants to deal with filing cabinets worth of information because the system isn't set up for that. And we can't make it a, a huge 
discovery fight, but sometimes you have to narrow your search down. So the information that you request, either formally through interrogatories, you need to identify exactly what you need and um, be very specific with it, whether it's specific as to identifying services, hardware, or securing uh, usernames and passwords. And the other alternate method would be to get a, a, a subpoena. And if the, the subpoena is not ironed, with a, uh, a court order, and the court order will have a consent signed by the, uh, or the mandate a consent by the, the claimant, and then the, you can go in and gather that information from there. But it's worse than that because it's just so humongous, the amount of data out there, that there is no formal methodology for gathering it, and the chain of custody becomes a problem, the spoilation of the data becomes a problem, the protocol to collect it, and if you use an informal manner, which is screen views or capturing it through the entire data set, it may be very costly and expensive to pursue uh, an elaborate uh, discovery uh, operation on this. And you may have to get an outside vendor. You may need a preservation order. Now, the other issue is the court's role in, in evaluating all this material. And the court actually becomes the gatekeeper. And the court's going to have to develop a method to determine relevancy of this information, to authenticate the chain of custody um, when it was secured, whether there was any alteration or spoilation of it, have to filter out hearsay, have to determine the quantity of the data that the court's going to want to allow into evidence. And the court's going to have to do, determine whether it wants to do it formally or whether the judge, in some instances, you know, the judge may get on. Facebook himself and or herself and try to try to do a search informally and you know the, you run the line of going over the um, the area of impartiality at that point that it becomes a problem especially in workers comp where you do not have a jury the judge is both the jury and the uh, finder of fact and uh, finder of law and then you also have to have um, a determination as to whether or not that this material that's gathered by either party should be reviewed in camera by the judge alone or with both parties present. Well, you've, a, ide- you've identified a fascinating area that is constantly evolving as we get into the 21st century and dealing with these unique uh, applications such as uh, Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, the legal implications are profound, and we thank you for bringing this to our attention on Legal Talk Network. If somebody wants to read more about this or access your uh, article, give us uh, the contact information where we can find it or your blog. I'd be, just send me an email at john at gelmans.com, G-E-L-M-A-N-S.com. I'm in Wayne, New Jersey, John, J-O-N. And I'd be glad to uh, send them, uh, direct them to the right uh, area to get gather the resource data that they can uh, start looking further. John, once again, I want to thank you very much for bringing a provocative subject to Workers' Comp Matters. Uh, I thank you for being with us today, and we hope uh, those of you out there will join us for another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. Thank Thank you you for for listening, and I hope you all go out and make it a day that matters. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. 
As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.